Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Passion Project, the podcast about passionate people and the things that drive them. I'm your host, Taylor Reed, and welcome, welcome, you guys, to another Friday episode. We've made it to the end of the week. Pat yourselves on the back, take yourself out, go have a meal, go spend it with the people you love, you guys. You've made it to Friday. Uh, honestly, truly, I, I mean, it sounds sarcastic and, and, and funny, but like truly, truly, if you made it through the week, um, I, you know, my hats are off to you. Um, not everyone is working uh, a job that they love, so I understand what that is like. So if you made it through the week in a job that you don't necessarily love, then I uh, salute you and, you know, keep doing, um, keep keep striving towards something that you're passionate about and something that you love because that's all what this show is about finding people um things that they're passionate about so if you are just tuning in with us for the first time i'm so grateful and appreciative thank you so much for joining um this little passion project family uh that we have here uh go ahead and you know if you liked this episode share it with all your friends and your family uh, go ahead and go ahead, you know, listen to some old episodes if you if you enjoyed it so much. Uh, go ahead and do that. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a star rating and a review down below. We'd love to hear from you guys. All of that in the show notes below. Also, if you uh, haven't already, go ahead and follow us on social media, passionproject.pod. All of that, again, in the show notes below. We would love to hear from you guys as well there. This week on Passion Project, you guys, episode 55. Every time I say a new episode, I truly am just astounded we've gotten this far. Thank you again for joining me on this journey. I know I've said thank you like a million times, but truly, truly, I'm so thankful for all you guys. So this week on Passion Project, we have such a wonderful guest. I know I say that every week, but truly, I'm just astounded at how... Uh, incredible our guests have been uh, this week as you have seen already it's Jeff Morgan on the show you guys Jeff Morgan is I've known him for a very long time he is someone truly you guys I know people say this a lot but he is a true renaissance man like he literally has done everything and anything like it's incredible he you know is an actor a singer he went to culinary school he also has his own wedding biz, like he does weddings and is a wedding planner and has his own wedding business. He also, you know, has taught swim lessons at, a, at his parents' swim school. Incredible. I mean, he's lived the most incredible life and, you know, he still has so much to go with it. So maybe we'll check back with him in like, you know, 20, 30 more years and see 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 how much other stuff he's done. We'll see. Jeff, we'll, we'll get back to you. Uh, but truly, I'm just so elated and excited that he uh, took the time out to do uh, the show this week. As you guys are here, will hear, we get into a lot of fun uh, discussions and I'm, I've just... Uh, been uh, excited for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, here is episode 55 with Jeff Morgan on Passion Project. But it's it's really funny. So I listen to that often, but I wouldn't say that there's anything that I like consistently keep mm -hmm. up with mm. 
it's all yeah well i'll have to check that one out that one sounds awesome it sounds really interesting it is meg is great yeah, it's funny. I mean, when, of course, when COVID started, like podcast kind of went down a little because a lot of people listen to them when they're driving and drive yeah. and no one was commuting anymore. So, mm-hmm. um, but they've, you know, I think they've lasted a little, I mean, now everyone's doing them. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do it because I love, I love doing it. So, yeah, it's yeah. your passion project. So exactly. Oh my gosh. Look, you already figured out why. Wow. I called it. <laughs> I think we can end it right there. Have a great day. Yeah. Bye. Uh, Well, Jeff Morgan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. We've, um, I mean, we did. uh, So I've had a lot of people on the show from the theater company that I did in high school. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but um, I, we didn't, I don't think we ever really like crossed paths at the exact same time. I think like, Maybe I was there a little bit later than you were, but um, yeah, it'll be, it's always fun to like see where people have gone and like do uh, people are doing things now. Yeah. I think that there's been a lot of mutual friend groups from different things Mm -hmm. throughout um, high school and beyond and college. And, but I don't know, I don't think we ever actually performed together or did any shows. I think I was working in some capacity for shows, yeah. Um, cause you did Cinderella, correct? Yes. That was my first show. Oh, Hey, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was assistant music directing Cinderella mm-hmm. yeah. with Morgan. So yeah. we would have worked together then, but we would not have performed together. Yep. And I was your last show then the Wizard of Oz right before that. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I so that was like literally when I started. So <laughs> <laughs> we like just missed it. each other. We're like two <laughs> ships passing in the night. Yep. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just fun. I, I, like I said, and we were talking about a little bit, like, I just love having people on that I enjoy like being with and knowing their stories and like seeing where you have gone is just so awesome and incredible. Um, so I love, and I just, I love, um, just like seeing like ordinary everyday people and like seeing how they, you know, have got to where they are and like why, why that is. So absolutely, I I think it's awesome. So, um, we're going to talk all about, of course, like what you do and like how you got there and all those things. But sure. Tell me, of course, I know a little bit about like your family background. I mean, you have a lot of siblings for people that don't I know do. for, li- for listeners that don't know. But talk about now. Where, are you like originally from Richmond originally, like born and raised or? Yeah. So my family uh, transplanted to Richmond because of my dad's job from Texas. Okay. Um, but the move there happened right before. Uh, me and I have a twin brother right before we were born. Mm. So technically I am a Virginian through and through born <laughs> and raised. Yeah. So that didn't, aff- that moved it. You don't know anything about that move. So you just like, I don't, yeah. I like to still consider myself a Texan just because <laughs> I love the state and all my extended family is there. Actually at this point, I've got four of my siblings that live in Texas. Wow. Um, so I consider myself a Texan, but that is just by proxy because of my family. Yeah, but are, are you a little bit glad? Because it's like so hot there. Like that's the one thing I think about of Texas is that it's like so hot. <laughs> it's true. It is hot. But I think that especially growing up in Virginia, we experience heat, but with such a heavy influence of humidity. Yes. In Texas, it's dry heat. So it does not mm. feel the same. They do have some humidity, but it's not as much. And so anytime that I've been there, especially during the summer months, it really has not felt 
all that unbearable where in Virginia, I feel like you go outside and it's just sticky. You are oh my gosh, damp yeah. in minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you know what's crazy about that is I have also lived in Virginia my entire life and I'm still not used to it. Like every, every summer, I'm like, yeah. this is awful. <laughs> That's funny. So being up in Pennsylvania now, we get mm-hmm. some humidity, but it's definitely a bit cooler in general. Um, and so people up here will complain when it's, you know, 25, 35% humidity. I'm like, you don't even know. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna yeah. need you to settle down because mm-hmm. we grew up where it was 85, 90% humidity, and this is nothing. So right. it's it is interesting. I'm I'm yeah. thankful for the you know, four to seven seasons that we experienced in mm-hmm. Virginia. It was, yeah. it was always a fun time. Yeah. Sometimes in a day or a week or, <laughs> yeah. or something like that. I heard uh, someone well, say that you can only ever expect meteorologists in Virginia or in Richmond specific to be about 60% correct because right. of where we're placed in the tidal basin between the Appalachian mountains and the ocean, it just mm-hmm. can so easily be swayed that it's just kind of draw the hat what you'll get yeah. each day so it's bipolar it's i'm in the mental health field so yeah. like it's just <laughs> you know <laughs> you know it needs I'm medication really. that's that's comforting <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 well i've had a couple a lot of uh, quite a few people of course because i grew up there people that grew up in richmond and really and in virginia but i i always wonder i've been asking people now like do you ever look back on your you know, time that you grew up there and like feel like this that city like raised you. Like, what do you think? What do, what do you think about your time like living and growing up there? When as you look back on, yeah, it? Um, Richmond holds a very dear place in my heart. I think mm-hmm. I'll always consider it home, um, mm-hmm. and I love everything that this city has to offer. Growing up, especially mm-hmm. in a large family, we were heavily involved in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was pretty close knit within our circle of people um, having our own business that put its own spin on things. Yeah. And so I feel like life experience for me was very much a wide range than it was or could have been for a lot of people because we were in the public eye a lot between our family business, between um the educational community and the impact that my mom had just between Mm. all the extracurricular activities that me and my siblings were a part of, like we were just involved in a lot. Um, And Richmond always seemed to be that place where it was that perfect size where you could always go out and expect to see someone you knew. Mm. Um, Now going back. For better or for worse, right? (laughs) True. (laughs) Um, When I go back into town to visit, I, you know, still love the city, Mm. but I definitely know that it's not where I'm supposed to be right now. Mm -hmm. And I think having grown up there, there was so much comfort and familiarity with everything that I felt like it could breed complacency, Mm. not just in one element of your life, but in every, to just kind of Mm -hmm. settle back in what you knew and just exist. Um, And so... I felt for years, I was like, the Lord is calling me away. I've got to be obedient to that. And that doesn't mean that I won't ever be back in Richmond. If the Mm -hmm. Lord puts me there, then 
great. Again, I love the city. I love the arts and culture that it has to offer. Mm -hmm. I love the just diversity that's there when it comes to if you have an interest in history, if you have an interest in sports, if you have an interest in nature, like there's, there's something for everybody there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, right now I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. And so in that sense, I don't, I don't miss it. Did you have a sense of that, like growing up, like you, it was like you wanted to get out, like you, it was a town, like you felt trapped at all or no? No, I don't think for me, I necessarily did. Mm -hmm. I think that I always just kind of trucked along. I I felt like if there was something that I wanted to invest my time in, I Mm -hmm. am a very intentional person. So anything that I put my mind to, I'm going to give 110%. Uh, And I feel like I was able to do that with whatever field it was, whether it was in theater, whether it was in music, whether it was in um, the wedding and event industry, Mm -hmm. like all of these creative outlets that I wanted to pursue, I could, and I had opportunity to. So I never felt trapped. And Richmond had such a close proximity to so many different other things um, that I never necessarily sent like, you know, I got to get out, mm-hmm. but it got to the point where I knew, all right, this is just not, it's not it. Yeah. You <laughs> and grew I out of it a little it bit. Is. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to get all, there's little nuggets in there. I want to, I want to ask about, but yeah. I do want to, of course, we're going to go, I want to go back to, cause I always love like talking about like family dynamics. Cause I feel like ever, I mean, being in the, the mental health field, like the way you grew up like so shapes who you are as a person and in in, like every facet of your life whether you know it or not (laughs) like the way you you interacted with you know your siblings or your parents or anything like that but you're you're one of you have 10 siblings if I'm not mistaken right that's correct I have six brothers and four sisters Woo! that is (laughs) 100% blood related siblings I don't know if I ever, but where do you fall in that? I don't know if I ever knew that. Yeah. So I actually fall smack dab in the middle. Okay. I'm the only one that can truly claim middle child <laughs> amongst the masses. <laughs> there are three boys and two girls on either side of me. So oh, okay. like I said, I do have a twin brother. He's 10 minutes younger than I, um, but yeah, I'm the middle child. How much do you claim that over him even to this day? <laughs> uh, it tends to usually just fall into play around our birthday yeah where i can be like hey, i'm older than you <laughs> um you know if anyone has seen my twin brother and i they would never guess that we are twins so they yeah. usually guess that he's twins with one of my older brothers or they guess that my two other younger brothers are the twins um oh, greg and i our vastly different people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um love him he's my best friend we're super close but my mom actually said she said when i found out i had twins i prayed and said lord if they're same-sex twins make them different and we are pretty much night and day he is a good (laughs) seven inches taller than me he's brunette i'm more blonde and with a full-on ginger beard Mm -hmm. and like i'm completely right-brained all things creative Mm -hmm. and um you know, singing, music, dancing, so on. He is so naturally left-brained. Was always it was always a lot easier for him in school, um, because that's just how we were wired. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. Well, tell me, because I'm the youngest of three, as you know, uh, yeah. and 
I, I mean, it, I, my wife's an only child too, and you've met my wife. So like, even that, like, I feel like my family's, you know, pretty big, but not like huge. But then what is it like growing up in a family that is bigger? Like, t- what, what was your experience? And also like, did, did it feel like, I mean, obviously with a twin, like you kind of naturally kind of, I guess, you know, latch on to just being friends with your twin, yeah. but then, you know, hanging out with them, maybe not. I mean, you guys had different interests, but, sure. um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, there's a lot of things that I was thinking about as kind of preparing for this. Like, did you ever feel like, like you got lost in the sea of the sure. Morgans or sure. <laughs> like, well, tell me, <laughs> tell me all the things. Yeah, absolutely. So surprisingly, contrary to what people would think, my family was always really close. Mm -hmm. There didn't seem to be, so there's a 17 year span between the oldest and the youngest in my family, just the one set of twins. Um, And we really only had probably three years where all 13 of us lived under the same roof. Mm -hmm. Because by the time my youngest sister was born, Again, my oldest brother was 17 at that point. Yeah, so yeah. Um, he got to the point where he was older, was moving out to a place on his own. So, but within that, I would say definitely when I was younger, it seemed for a long time that you had your older kids and your younger kids. Mm-hmm. And Greg and I did did split the divide and we kind of started what was called the younger kids <laughs> for a long time. So we... Mm-hmm kind of took the spearhead, which meant at times there was this desire of like, but we want to be with the older kids, but we're mm-hmm. called the younger kids and they treat us like the younger kids, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do I feel like I ever got lost? I wouldn't necessarily say so in particular. I think looking back at it now, I can definitely see I am wired very uniquely mm-hmm. to the rest of my siblings. Like, mm-hmm in and of myself. There were other siblings that have some of the same interests and a lot of my family is musically inclined. We get that from my dad. Um, So a lot of us, like we all had to take piano for at least two years (laughs) or do another instrument. So we all had experience. So a lot of my siblings like can play piano, can play guitar, can sing. I'm really the only one though that hasn't had so much of my life invested into music and into um, theater, you know, from the time that I was seven, starting mm-hmm. in a professional men and boys choir and like never stopped from that point. So there- Where did that love come from? Like, did it, was it like your parents just put you in the choir and then you were like, oh, this is cool or- Oh, actually it was from the time I was a baby. I was always singing. Interestingly enough, it used to be the one consistent thing that I would get in trouble for would be (laughs) singing at the dinner table because Mm -hmm. I would not even realize that I was singing. It was completely in my subconscious Mm -hmm. and just singing all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my parents just saw that and decided, hey, let's look for what opportunities could lie there. We were at a church growing up that did have opportunity with a kid's choir that Mm. also did shows. I was very grateful to grow up in a church that had a high emphasis on um, creative ministry and Mm. what that can mean. So it's not just like a kid's choir that sings 
you know, twice a year in service. Right. We did full on productions. If anyone remembers like the Salty and Saltina productions, like that was the first show that I was in and I was probably five or six years old doing that as a little church mouse. <laughs> um, but then we found out about Weag, this right? Yes. Yeah. So we grew up at West End until I was about 10 when my family moved to a different church in the area. But WEAG has a great creative um, music and fine arts ministry that has a lot of availabilities within dance and different instruments. And they, of course, have their massive Christmas production every year, Glorious Mm -hmm. Christmas Nights. I actually think I took dance classes there. I think I remember taking dance classes there. You very well may have. I probably I actually did. know a good number of the dance instructors that are there mm. at this point, but it's been established for quite a while. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I we found out about the All Saints Choir of Men and Boys, which was actually just up the street on River Road from West End. And both Greg and I did that together. So we started when we were, I think, seven, seven or eight years wow. old was when we first got into it. And we had impeccable training. Our Mm -hmm. choir master was phenomenal, not only in teaching us to understand our voice and to know the limits of our voice. We had an affinity for singing in multiple languages. Mm -hmm. I think we sang our repertoire would oftentimes consistently have, you know, four to six different languages that we sang in, but we probably sang in up to 10 or 12 Mm -hmm. different languages. And that's even been a huge benefit for me as I got older and got into opera and so on. Um, but our choir master, he was, he was tough on us. Yeah. I remember of course, growing up in a Christian household, it was one of my first times experiencing someone using language. And so there were times where like he would get mad about something and he would cuss out the music and we would just (laughs) sit there in our our seats like what's going on but you'd come home and like use some of the words and your parents would be like what (laughs) uh, thankfully I I don't know that I ever did I'm I've always been a bit more of a rule follower Greg on Mm -hmm. the other hand probably would have been more apt (laughs) um but it was an eye-opening experience but what it did is it it taught us a lot of discipline and the choir master would look back on that time that we were specifically in. And this, of course, isn't just because of us. It's because of the all of the kids that were in the choir and the men. Um, but he calls it his golden years. And so being in that choir, I mean, we had great opportunities. We sang at the National Cathedral every year. We did trips up to Philadelphia. That was my first overseas trip. I went to England with that boys wow. choir. And we toured for eight days when I was like 10 years old. My my first time getting, so actually, you know, I look back at it now and I think, holy cow, my parents invested so much time in us Mm. being able to do that because we had rehearsal every Tuesday and Thursday evening Mm. for a few hours. And then we also had to sing in the Episcopal church service every other Sunday morning. And so we would go there, we would sing in their service, then we would get picked up and brought to our church for our service and kind of did double duty um, saying in so many different weddings during that time. Mm -hmm. And we actually got, we got paid to be in the choir. And so that kind of kickstarted it for me and then doing shows at church. And then after boys choir kind of ended was when I then hopped more into doing stuff with CYT and Mm -hmm. taking a lot of classes, but generally I think 
all every single class that I took was music related except for two. I did a puppetry class with <laughs> Abernathy Bland, which was so much fun. And I did a tap class. And then every single other one was either developing as a soloist, world music, acapella groups, barbershop mm-hmm. quartets. So everything was in the music field yeah, while also yeah. doing shows. Yeah. Well, you know what's so cool about that? And I know your parents pretty well is that even though you're, you and your brother were two among however many siblings, like they still invested in like, oh, this is something that is important. It's not like you, they were just like, we'll try it and maybe, you know, it may yeah. not work out. It's like, no, we're going to like, this is something that's still important. And there, it's not like, yeah, you're not just one among the many siblings. It's like, no, you were yeah. just like, you were that one person. And also Absolutely. tell me like, so how old were you when you went to England? Like eight? The first time that I went, no, I think we were either 10 or 11 when we okay. went for that what first was, time. I mean, even like the first, what was that? Like thinking about that, like, were you like, this is just cool and I'm just along for the ride? Or were you like, I can't believe, like, were you freaking out? I feel like yeah. I would have been like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was so much fun, honestly. I just remember yeah. having a great time. So we were in this tiny little village that was maybe an hour outside of London. So we flew into London Heathrow. And if you can imagine, I mean, this men and boys choir, there's probably 35 40 of us total oh my goodness. um and we were staying all in under a certain eight, like all under 18 no so for all of the boys in the boys choir everyone was in between 8 and 14 oh my like goodness. 8 and 14 or 15 i think the cutoff for graduating out of the boys choir was mm. 15 or 16 mm. just because your voice had generally changed so you'd transition right. into men's choir if mm. you did that um but yeah all of the guys and i would You're say officially probably, becoming a man <laughs> yes <laughs> um i would say for the boys there were probably 20 some boys that went on that trip and then of course we had choir moms throughout the right. whole time that would help us on sunday mornings that would help us on the evenings kind of monitors and chaperones and so we had a bunch of choir moms that went and then the men's choir as well so Mm -hmm. that's what kind of added up to it being really probably even 40 to 50 of us but uh greg and i and one other guy named kyle we were in the same host family and Mm -hmm. so like you not only are you going to a different country like you're living with another family for that week and you're just going out for day trips and doing uh even songs and different shows here or there. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was so much fun. And in the moment you're just living it up. I think I remember one of the biggest things is in the mornings before we would have to get to our bus that we took to travel around, we'd all like meet in the little town square, go to the market. And we were obsessed with the Kinder surprise eggs. Mm -hmm. Now the Kinder surprise eggs, they are very different from the ones here (laughs) because there's not the same, like, FDA regulations right, at the right, time right. at least and so it was just this chocolate egg that you'd bite into and then it had another yellow smaller egg that was plastic that had a toy or a game in it and they were like one pound and so every day part of what we had paid for was to basically have like a per diem that the, the moms would give us mm-hmm. to cover our food or to have like spending money if we went anywhere 
for souvenirs and such. Um, but except we also chocolate eggs. <laughs> except chocolate eggs, yeah. Those were our souvenirs. Stuff that we could just yeah. eat in the moment because we're like we're ten, we're eleven, you know, we're right. we're living it up in yeah. England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember I actually still have this. I don't know if this is something that just my mom made us do. I think it was. We had to keep a daily journal of oh, everything wow. that we did that day and where we went and what it was like so that we could remember what we did. Mm. So I think in my treasure chest, I still have that journal. I still have pictures. I still have the tie and patches. And it's a, it was, I mean, such a special part of my life, not just yeah. that trip, but the whole time that I was in voice choir. And I really attribute so much of what my abilities are now to that because not only did I have such a uh, well-rounded grasp on what my vocal capabilities were, mm. but I understood how to keep my range while I was becoming mm. a man, while I was going through puberty. Yeah. And so I truly am like a true tenor one or counter tenor. And that's because of that training that I had mm. where my voice didn't drop as low as others, even my twin brothers, his range is not near what mine is. Mine still mm. sits very high. Yeah. Yeah. Just what a, what a just cool experience. Even I'm sure even going through it, you were just like, this is crazy. But now, uh, now looking back on it, you're like, I cannot believe that that happened. Like, it's just so, Absolutely. so crazy. Also, was this like late nineties? Like, yes. Yeah. So this would have been, yeah, I was born in 91. So I think this was in like 2000 that okay. we went okay. on that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting 2000, because, I don't think. Because if, if it, I wonder if it had been not, I mean, I was just thinking like if it was after 9-11, I wonder how different it would have, how the, how different the trip would have been. Yeah. Or if they would have even gone. Like, yeah. Not to say, I don't know. I was just Absolutely. thinking. About yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. It's interesting that an event like that so much shapes our perspective and just how life adjusts. I mean, we're seeing it again right now. Everything yes. that's happened with COVID yeah. and how quickly some people adapted to just like a new way of life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I would definitely want to ask, cause you did mention it a little bit about how your family, your parents owned a business growing up yes. and um, I eventually worked for that business. And yep. I guess that is something like you were my boss at one point. So I was. <laughs> 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 I, you're not you're actually not the first of my bosses to be on the show so wow <laughs> um, um but well describe I, I mean your parents had a swim school and yep. still do i assume yep and uh yes yeah, so every time i go home i pass it on you know midlothian turnpike and i'm like that's yes. where i worked yeah and <laughs> and uh but what was i mean i guess in my head as, as an outsider, I assume it all the things that it taught you was like responsibility early on and like what it was yeah. like to even like work from an early age. I'm sure because not a lot of people get that opportunity. But what yeah. else? What about it? Did you like not like about it? Sure. <laughs> like, were there a lot of things that you were like that you didn't like about it or no? Not necessarily. The swim school started when I was four started in our backyard. So 
it was a lot. I mean, I remember when we put the pool in, um, that's kind of how my parents invested my dad's inheritance. He was an only child, came from a really small family in Iowa. So when his parents mm-hmm. passed, they didn't really get much of anything. And right. what they opted to do since my mom had grown up with a pool in her backyard was they just said, let's put a pool in. Um, and so the swim school started in our backyard and it was just wow. in our backyard for years and years. It went from just my mom teaching to then some of my oldest siblings teaching to then some of their friends getting hired for a summer job and just like grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, all another story for another time. What I yeah. think that it did teach me though, was absolutely, there was just growing pains that happened. Mm-hmm. We had a home office. And so everything was always about the swim school. And I think yeah. it was hard having so much where like there wasn't a separation between work and family yes, because yeah, they yeah, were yeah. one and the same. Mm. And so I think a lot of my siblings would say there were, there were, was quite a while where it was difficult just because we never seemed to be able to shut it off. Regardless conversations just automatically went to the swim school and there's an element for my siblings that are still involved with it where it mm. still does, you know, my parents are still involved and then I've got, one, two, three, four siblings that are still involved with the swim school in some capacity or another. All of us did work for the swim school for years and years. Um, But it did teach a lot about resourcefulness Mm. and being creative. It did teach a lot of self-discipline and responsibility because growing up where our mom was in the pool so much, it was Mm. up to me and my siblings to keep up with just general life. And so I remember she would call us out to the pool area. We'd all march out, line up in age order. (laughs) And so many people that were around during that time, taking lessons with some of their older kids, like they, they remember Mm -hmm. it just seeming so organized, but my mom had to, she had to run a tight ship just because of having 11 kids. Mm -hmm. And so she would call us out first thing in the morning. We had an Excel spreadsheet chore chart that we had to go through. And then we got to our other tasks. We had reading assignments. Obviously Mm -hmm. we were all homeschooled as well. So during the school year, we had so much, but we were also all doing swim team and different things like that. So she is superwoman, truly. I've never met someone that works as hard as my mom because she not only successfully raised 11 kids, she schooled 11 kids. She was consistently talking within the homeschool community, teaching parenting classes, um, going to MOPS groups. She was a keynote speaker at the HEAV convention for years and years and running a business out of her home. Like she is nuts. But (laughs) I think what that taught and instilled in all of us was this ability to not only like make sure that we got things done when there are tasks that needed to be accomplished, mm-hmm. to be able to do things efficiently and effectively. Um, it instilled a really strong work ethic and yeah. a sense of um, understanding that the buck stops with us. And not only does it stop with us, but like, what are we representing? Mm-hmm. Everything that we do has our name on it. And ultimately that goes back to the Lord. It goes back to our family. And so how are we conducting our lives and putting forth our efforts into everything that we do to make sure that we are representing Christ, representing our family, representing ourselves well. And so that has absolutely impacted 
what I do and given me so much life experience mm. in my life. People will often comment and be like, you've lived like four lifetimes and just what you've done. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's because I've just. And your mom's lived like a hundred. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> she. Um, so it's, yeah. it's really, I'm very thankful for it. Was it hard? Yes. Yeah. Did we have to go through a lot? Yes. Is there um, some painful memories of just like what that meant and how it stretched mm. our family at times? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But do I regret any of it? No. Yeah. Because ultimately my mom, it, it was her passion. It's what mm -hmm. she was flowing into. And she saw it not just as um, a business, but as a ministry. And so the number of people that our family has been able to impact, um, bring to the Lord, minister to through this life skill and through swimming is incredible. It truly yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to like focus on negative things, but I was just fascinated by like, I I'm sure that like having a, 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 fa a parents running a family business, like there are a lot of positives to it, but also I was just like, hmm, I wonder if there's any negatives to it. So, <laughs> um, but also I wonder too, like you mentioned like that, the, the fact of like the separation of like family and work like do you, is that something that's like still important to you now like do you still like is that something you've um brought with you that even as an adult you want to separate those two or do you do you not like that or what is that like sure I think that it, it really depends. I think there's definitely elements, um, especially with what I do right now. My schedule is pretty specific. And so I really do yeah. life with a lot of my coworkers, mm. both at work and outside of work. Um, but I do believe that it's important to build separate communities from work and in your regular life. When I go home, do conversations still tend to center around the swim school often? Yes. Um, I personally, at this point, really do not have too much of a grasp on the full extent of how things are and what it's like. But when I talk to my siblings that are still involved, when I talk to my mom or to my older brother, it still comes back to that. And it's interesting that even though I'm not involved in any capacity, my heartstrings still pull. So like when they're talking about things being hard, it hurts me just mm -hmm. because like I, I invested so much of my own life into that. Yeah. And I know what I personally sacrificed to get it to that point, especially when I was in management there. Um, mm -hmm. And so to see that struggling, I have to fight a lot, but that's honestly a part of why for so long I didn't pursue what I knew the Lord was calling me to was because I felt obligated to my family. I felt like I had to do it because they couldn't find someone else. And so getting to that point of being like, no, if I'm not doing the job, someone else absolutely can. It does not need to be me. Um, was really what helped me gain the courage to speak with my mom and say, Hey, I need to leave. Here's why. But frankly, yeah. from the time I met with my mom and my older brother, who's the acting CEO of the company to tell them that I need to leave till I actually did was a whole year. Mm. Like it took a year for me to actually yeah. step away. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah so, yeah. Well, I worked there for two summers and had a lovely time still mm -hmm. like, honestly, I look back on it so fondly and like had Absolutely. such a great, like, I remember the summer after my last summer I worked there, I went home. There was a kid in that I taught that was lived in my neighbor, my parents' neighborhood. 
Okay. And I saw him and he remembered me. Maybe it was like the Christmas after maybe or something. Sure. And he remembered me and he was like so much bigger, first of all. And also like, and which and crazy that he remembered i was like what how do you even remember me? i don't even yeah this, this was like one week of my <laughs> of your summer sure. and um that was it was just like crazy like how um how yeah you really can make an impact on the kids that absolutely you worked, worked with and also I, I mean you know like the best part of that is like seeing the kids grow and like not the best part but one of the best parts is like seeing the the kids grow from like what I did was like teaching them to swim in basically two weeks like which was somewhat impossible at some points but (laughs) (laughs) a lot of things transition out of what would have been called initially it was the eight-day blitz then it became the eight-day fast track fast track that's what I did yeah definitely yes so we had a lot of instructors that really just did fast tracks. And that's really how our swim school started. We used mm-hmm. to say, like, you give us eight private lessons with your child, we'll have them swimming. And that was like yeah. our guarantee. Yeah. Is that a healthy guarantee at this point? No. <laughs> but we came to realize that, again, it's a life yeah. skill. It's not yeah. an extracurricular activity. It's not just right. a summer camp. This is something that your child needs to know. But the impact, especially for younger children going through that is massive. Yeah. It's scientifically proven that kids that learn to swim and are swimming, especially under the age five, develop better because it's activating all these muscles. It's activating both sides of your brain. They do better in reading. They do better in school development. They do better in social socialization because of all those things. And so it's very normal to have, I mean, even for me, I was a swim instructor for nine years with the swim school before I stepped into management and what we would call the dry side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still have kids that I remember teaching that remember me mm-hmm. from that time. From well, I when think you I was, were one of my instructors. I was. Yes. And, <laughs> and was you also taught my wife. Day. I don't yep. know if you know that. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that. I don't remember her as a child, but yes, because yes, I yes. was a child. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. I was probably all of like 15 when I taught her. Well, um, the only thing I really remember, Jeff, is the last day. I think I also did a week thing or something or maybe two weeks. And the last day I like swam with like my jeans. Yes. And <laughs> yes. We did and, a safer swimmer test where mm-hmm. each child had to jump in with all their clothes on so that if ever put in an emergency situation and mm-hmm. mind you, this is, is so important and we saw the benefit of it so often um, is we wanted kids to experience that weight. We wanted to yeah. take them out of their comfort zone of just being in their bathing suit and having their goggles and having everything be what it was. We said, mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to add all of this extra weight. We're going to add your shoes that the rubber on the shoes wants to float. We're going to add the 10 mm-hmm. to 15 pounds of wet clothes and we're going to take away your goggles because we want you to still know that these techniques that we've taught you as to where to get your breath how to get to the wall can help you and you can still do that and the number of stories that i can tell you of families coming back to us and saying like that their child we had one family and they were on a skiff in hawaii with their boys that capsized like over 50 people on this the whole thing capsized they all had, they were about a half mile out from shore and they could not find their boys for something like an hour and a half or two, but ended up finding them on the beach. And both boys who at the time were like five and seven, 
had been able to get themselves back to the shore using the techniques that they had learned. Like the number of life-saving stories that we've heard and witnessed um, truly is what part impacted us going and creating a method of learning to swim that really kind of blended to a certain extent, not just the skills of learning to swim, but also just like self-discipline, parenting rules and why we have them. Um, And the number of parents that even would take some of the rules that we had in swim lessons and would incorporate it into just how they did life at home and would be like, my kid's a totally different child. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's kind of amazing. And so that's one of those ways where like the Lord just wired my mom and giving her experience. She started teaching lessons when she was 12. And so just her years of teaching plus then raising 11 kids on her own and Mm -hmm. understanding so much early childhood development and the necessity of discipline within that incorporated like, and all fed into how she created her curriculum Mm -hmm. that now is taught worldwide within all Aquatots because she helped Mm -hmm. rewrite their entire swim curriculum. And so everyone is doing my mom's methods and has a global impact at this point, which is truly incredible. Yeah. Insane. One day I'll have to have her on. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It might Uh, be a few hours long, but (laughs) she would love to talk. Do it in segment. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we'll do a part part one part two part three yes uh, <laughs> absolutely well I know all of that I, if there's anything that I know about you as being a, a friend of yours and an acquaintance it's that you wear many hats yes. <laughs> you do a lot of things for people yes. that don't know because you're a florist you're mm-hmm. a wedding planner and designer yeah. you are an actor you're a singer Yep. Or am chef. I missing anything? Please tell me. I'm a chef. I went to culinary school. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I did want to say that. Yes. Culinary school. First of all, yeah. culinary school is something, honestly, every like couple of weeks, I'm like, should I go to culinary school? Like, <laughs> I, just, I just think it would be so fun. But then my wife's like, what would you do with that? Nothing. I'm like, it would just be so fun. But you know. can take cooking classes, go to Sir yeah, or somewhere. Yeah. You can hone techniques that if you want to expand on without actually going into culinary school. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I went to culinary school. Um, honestly, the reason I went, I grew up where my mom did a lot of catering. Mm-hmm. It initially started, honestly, with her doing her doctor's Christmas party as a way to bring in extra <laughs> money for Christmas for the family. Um And it just kind of grew from there by word of mouth. And I wanted to go to school for music or for theater, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, my parents are baby boomers and my mom was like, that could be a part of your life, but it's not going to provide. And everything (laughs) for boomers was like, you get a job that will provide. And that was just so heavily instilled that it was trying to then find, okay, what's something that is still creative and that I enjoy doing but Mm. is going to be more consistent. And so culinary school is what I ended up doing. You know, growing up, part of my chore chart was one or two days a week, I had to make the meal for the family. And so cooking for a lot of people was always very natural to me. Mm -hmm. And learning how to even just understand, like every kitchen pantry has these 12 staple items that are always there. How can you make a meal in 30 minutes to feed the masses? Okay, Um, Rachel Ray. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I forgot she does that whole 30 yeah, minute yeah. meal segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so culinary school was something that would allow me to use creativity, would allow me to do thing that was something that was out of the ordinary, um, but was more consistent. But interestingly enough, I never had, never have had, never will have, I don't think any desire to actually work in the restaurant industry. Mm. Nothing about it is appealing to me. Um, (laughs) It's not ideal for family life. It's not ideal for any of those things. I really did it more with an emphasis on events and weddings Mm. because Mm. I had taken over the catering that my family did. And so I just figured, hey, I can take this. And if I do my own catering company where I can create my own schedule, where I'm working towards a goal, I've been really good at time management. Um, and so tell that's me, how- Tell me your secrets. Tell me. I need help. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Is it just having just- 10 siblings? Is that it? In part, probably. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> just having to keep up with things all the time and and knowing that like- Growing up, once I got my school done, I'd be allowed to go play. Yeah. And so that self-discipline also came into understanding time management. But mm. it's funny. I think one of the most infuriating things that my mom would say post-culinary school, <laughs> she gets so upset that I don't use the timer at right. all. Like my mm. internal clock just knows like, this is when I put it in. So this is when I need to pull it out type deal. And I can just work and have six things going in the kitchen. No problem. And it infuriates her. It blows her mind. Oh, <laughs> She's I like, you need not. the timer. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm really okay. <laughs> I, you know, just know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I still, I yeah. mean, I had my own catering company for probably a good eight, nine years. Yeah. You know, I've done so many of my friends' weddings. It's interesting now to look back and be like, wow, I I can just at random be like this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. I've done mm-hmm. all of their weddings in some mm-hmm. form or fashion, whether it was as the caterer or the florist or the planner and day of coordinator mm-hmm. or doing decor or as a wedding singer, <laughs> you know, or doing their hair. Like I've just done so much. My mm-hmm. baby sister just got married uh, three weeks ago yeah. and I did her flowers. Right? I did the cake. Yep. I yeah. did her flowers. I did her wedding cake. I did her hair and I like kind of helped her with all the planning leading up to the day. Yeah. Was it exhausting? Absolutely. <laughs> I was like, this is my vacation time where I'm not really vacationing at all. <laughs> well, I'll but, tell you, Jeff, because we helped out with one of our mutual friends, Sarah Day's wedding. Yes. And my wife and I, the next day, as much as we loved our wedding, like we had a great wedding, but our day yeah. of coordinator was not great. We both like the next day after Sarah's wedding, we looked at, we were like, we should have Jeff do it. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, man, that would have been so great. I know. Your wife um, was so but, kind. I remember her saying, yeah. like, just complimenting how the day went. Mm-hmm. And that was a fun wedding. I mean, that was. Yeah. It was one of those situations where 48 hours before we completely changed the venue and yep. location. Yep. So we had to rethink everything mm-hmm. um, and take a very blank canvas and turn it into something beautiful. Um, and the day turned out great. And it's a good thing yeah. we changed it because literally at the time their wedding was set to start, we had a downpour yeah. and yeah. that was the worry. And so having yeah. it moved indoors, like it was, it was the right call to make, but yeah. and amazing. Um, it turned out amazing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 
It was lovely. Well, I, I wonder because I'm sure there's a direct correlation, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure you, I hopefully you won't argue with me is that that like seeing your like running your parents running a business and then you going to you know running your own business or like yeah. using those skills on a day to day basis. But like, how as far as like how do you feel like performing or even I know you do a lot of backstage stuff too, like yeah. and hair and makeup and costumes, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like, how do you feel like all of that has influenced that world? If that makes sense. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think anyone that is a performer full-time would recognize that you have to hustle. Hmm. You are permanently temporary or temporarily <laughs> permanent. Everything is contract to contract. Mm. And so that's where I said I had just transition the type of work that I did to be able to go with me. And that's mm. why I spent almost four years really as a Starbucks partner, because as a barista, if I had a contract that was in Lynchburg, because I was doing a show with Alluvian, I could pick up shifts at a Starbucks location there. And so that's what I did. And I could still be working to pay bills outside of just doing the professional contract mm. that provided housing and paid some, but it wasn't enough to cover, you know, my rent and my phone bill and so on back in Richmond while having home base there. And so I learned how to hustle. And there's one thing that my mom would always say is that she's like, I know that no matter what, you'll figure out a way to make money. Because again, that um, mentality of if there's something that I want to invest my time in and learn, I'm going to give 110%. So growing up, you know, first it was music and then it went to like knitting and then wood carving and then food and like all these different things that I learned um, just from what I gleaned from my family. Um, And then having grown up with CYT and such, before I was allowed to perform because it was again, one of 11 kids, that's a big time commitment. And so many of my expense commitment too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. And so many of my years with CYT one, some of the classes and stuff I had to pay for, Mm -hmm. I had to figure out, um, travel to and from, I had to hitch rides with friends And so oftentimes for me to do classes or rehearsals, I was figuring out carpooling Mm -hmm. with people because it was just so much for my family to do. Mm -hmm. But why do I say this? For a few years before I was actually allowed to perform in shows, that was too much of a commitment, but a two week show run I was allowed to do. And so I really started working backstage. It was 2004 in Annie. It was the first show that I worked backstage yeah. and then I did costumes for some shows. I did hair and makeup for some shows. I did follow spot for Susicle in like 2006. Um, so Fiddler on the Roof was my first show that I actually performed in. Oh, but what, what that did is it gave me such an appreciation for every element of theater. Mm. Like it is all one unit and your theater technicians have to be doing their job to their absolute best for you as the actor to be able mm. to storytell in an effective way. And right. if it's done right, as the theater goer, you attend a show and you never experience any of that. And you just go, wow, that was incredible. But you don't think about 
the mm. mass of people that's three times the size of the cast working so hard to make sure that the cast can do their job. Yeah. And yeah. so how that helped me then was after high school, when I started doing stuff, you know, I was doing opera professionally with a company in Richmond. And then I built a really great relationship with an equity house with Virginia Repertory Theater, yeah. initially as a theater technician doing as a dresser for their shows. I came in because they had a dresser that had to stop like right after the first week of their run. And so I came in as a relief technician and then I was able to do pretty much every single show got to the point where I could even just say, ask them, Hey, can I do this show? And they'd be like, yeah. And so I built rapport as someone who worked hard, who did their job well, who cared, who went the extra mile, who was dedicated. Um, and so I was able to consistently, if I wasn't performing in a show, to work on a show. Mm -hmm. And so from 2015, it was Christmas 2015 that I started with Gypsy until 2018, I did a show every like winter, spring, summer, fall, that I was either performing or working in at wow. a professional theater company. Um, and that's because I wasn't afraid to do things that others might, you know, there are some actors that can take a little bit more of an elitist. Like I only do this mm. on stage. I don't do anything else. I'm like, listen, work is work. I love mm. performing. I love storytelling, but if I can consistently work and show my work ethic and my loyalty to a company, even off stage, and that still allows me the ability to invest relationally with those people. Um, and ultimately be a witness to them in whatever capacity, if that means zipping up a zipper, or if that means being a dance partner on stage, mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to do it. Yeah. And so that really has benefited, benefited me in a huge way, even to where I am now, where working at Sight and Sound for my first two years employed, I was just doing wigs and mm -hmm. wig maintenance. So any, uh, wash, washing, styling, altering, repairs, so on for wigs mm -hmm. and then makeup upkeep. That was my responsibility. And I took what the job was and I completely transformed using some of my experience in management, how the job was done and what mm -hmm. the expectations were and raised the bar for where it needed to sit. Um, but that whole time I was still auditioning. I was still doing yeah. shows wherever yeah. I could. And it wasn't until this year, which was my fourth year auditioning with Sight and Sound, that I actually got cast. And so this is my first year just on stage um, in the cast. Although, interestingly enough, just last weekend, they needed help within the wig department. And so I kind <laughs> of ended up being double employed for the few days. And wow. I was doing shows. And then anytime I wasn't on stage, I was doing wigs. <laughs> and I was doing both for the weekend. It was exhausting but again it was one of those things where it's like listen I want them to see that I'm committed to every element of this mm -hmm. I want the company to be represented well I want our mission vision and goals to be seen and if that means that I'm stepping in in whatever way they need then I'm gonna do that mm. incredible and well two things I want to ask too like oh. When you're doing one or the other, do you really like if you're backstage, do you really miss performing? And then when you're on stage, do you miss being backstage or? Sure. Um, 
I would say it's definitely more anytime that I've worked as a technician, mm. I would rather be on stage. Yeah, yeah It's yeah, really yeah. hard <laughs> to work 50 feet off stage, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. for yeah. two years or yeah. for any period yeah. of time. I get that. Um, and so my desire and where my heart is, is absolutely on stage. Mm. It is. And so if given the choice, that would always be the choice to be on mm. stage and to be performing and to be creating in that element. Mm. Um, are there elements of what I do? Like, I think I enjoy doing a job well, and there's a gratification that comes from taking a wig that is a complete mess from a show run and turning it into something beautiful and transforming it and being able to give it to that actor and just see their face light up. Or even oftentimes the relief that comes from knowing that it's been done well and taking that extra level of care to understand their head shape or how they prefer it to sit and how I can accommodate that. Like there's ministry in every single element Mm -hmm. of what I do. It doesn't have to just be in one specific way. And so my prayer has always been, especially in the past few years, has turned into just being like, Lord, for today, make me sensitive to how you're moving. Make me obedient to what you call me to in whatever capacity, like learning to be a good steward of what I have. My desire for being on stage, of course, it's there. The Lord knows the desires of our heart, but he alone knows the timing of when he's going to fulfill or if he's going to fulfill that. If my goal is solely to be in the center of his will for my life and be obedient to what he's calling me to, I don't know what all that is, but I have to learn to live in surrender, understanding that the information that I have presently is exactly what he has seen fit for me to have. And so how can I steward that well? How can I steward the gifts that I have in a ministry that I feel called to through the resources that the Lord has given me for this time? Um, And so that has always impacted just how I do my work, how I conduct myself. And honestly has allowed for ministry to happen in ways that I wouldn't even expect, you know, people coming to me weeks after a conversation, like you said this and it like blew me away. And I, And I can honestly say, I have no idea what I even said, like truly just the Lord. I don't remember the conversation anyway, but if the Lord bless you through it, praise God. You know, that's one of those times where we can just sit and say, all right, God, you are incredible. And I'm just grateful to be uh, your servant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, there's a moment, uh, there's an aspect of that, like, just like living in the moment and like living and like truly relishing in like what. God has for you in that time rather than like always looking toward the future always you know not that that's a bad thing but always looking for the next thing but like truly like um like loving where you're at which is a hard thing to do (laughs) yeah well maybe we never get so focused on where we want to be that we lose sight of what God's doing right now Mm -hmm. and I think that's important to remember yeah You may have already kind of touched on this, but where, so what I hear in all of that and all of what you said and, in you know, working backstage and not, you know, auditioning a bunch of times is like, it's all about the long haul. It's all about like, you know, doing everything to, to make it possible for one day to like live out your dream, basically, not just you know, the the other things can influence what you really want to do. So where did that, where did that come from? Like, where do you, do you ever look back you're like, where did I get this? Or was it just, you're just like, okay, this is probably what I should do. 
No, I think I saw it modeled a lot in my mom, just this mm-hmm. um, resourcefulness, perseverance, dedication, mm-hmm. diligence. Um, Cause it's hard, right? Like it's probably hard. Like you auditioning for four years. Like that's really hard. (laughs) That's a, it's a lot and it's, it's a lot to go, but I can look back and I can see the Lord's hand specifically in, in wanting to grow elements of my life by not having me, you know, on stage up until this point, I needed to gain the same kind of life experience, knowledge, and deepen my relationship with the Lord in order to best handle where he has me for right now. And so I wouldn't have had opportunities to do different contracts that I have and to have relationships that I have had I been cast that first year. Mm. It took me going through that whole process. It, honestly, it took the two years of me living 50 feet off stage for me to content myself with that being okay and saying, right. all right, Lord, like if this is, if this is a dream that you never fulfill, Am I still going to see you as God and as sovereign and therefore worthy of my praise, even if I don't feel completely fulfilled? And that's where that perseverance of saying, okay, I truly don't know. We all have a sinful nature. We all have wants and desires of the flesh, but what is of the Lord? What is eternal? What is going to help me pursue holiness in a greater way, regardless of what capacity that looks like? Mm. Um, And so I saw that a lot modeled in my mom growing up with the family business and pushing through the things that were hard and choosing Mm. to wake up every day and just taking the day um, as is and putting your best into it, regardless of what the outcome may look like. And so I think taking what I saw there and just putting my own desires into that, Mm. I have worked very hard Mm. and burned the wick at both ends for a very long time to get to where I am and still have to, you know, you don't want to get to this place where you are just coasting because things are good or things look good. That's not, that's not the case. You know, there are elements of this year that are harder than they've ever been, (laughs) but that's because the Lord is continuing to refine me. He's continuing to take those areas of my life that need to be polished. And he's putting me into the fire for that. And, um, there's actually this song by Maverick city that's called refiner. And Mm -hmm. it says, I want to be tried by fire purified take whatever you desire lord here's my life and that has just like got me to the core in the past Mm -hmm. six months of it's not just i'm willing to go through the fire if that means that i become closer to you and become more holy it's Mm -hmm. saying put me there lord put me in discomfort if that allows me to know you better and changing my desire to say that and look at all the things that are difficult right now and say, okay, there's purpose in it. And I don't understand it fully and it's really hard and painful, but I'm going to keep pressing on because of who I know the Lord to be. And because I've seen his faithfulness proved time and time again, I'm going to keep waking up to keep pressing in, to keep choosing to love as Christ's first love and gave himself for me and keep looking at how I can best serve and bless the body of Christ around me. Is there something like on a day-to-day basis that like helped you get through like difficult moments? 
<laughs> um, prayer and worship <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you know, at the end of last year, everyone had Spotify would be like, these are your most listened to artists yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> Mine was literally just worship music. That's all mm-hmm. it was. I don't know any of the current songs that are out. I don't listen <laughs> to the radio at all. I literally just listen to worship music, the occasional like cast recording or soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, but for yeah. the most part, it's just worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has such a near and dear place to my heart. I'm really heavily involved with worship at my church. I'm the vocal coordinator. So I work with all of our vocalists to do scheduling, to work on a weekly basis on their vocal blend and understanding of dynamics and what it means to have the heart of a worshiper and to mm-hmm. lead people well. And so that idea of making a joyful noise to the Lord, keeping a song of praise on our lips at all times is something that has helped me through. Um, the word abide is one that the Lord has absolutely given me over the last three and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day I just randomly, I was reading John 15, five, which says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. But if you are abiding in me and I in you, whatever you ask for in my name, I will give. And so I was like, what does that word abide mean? So I looked Mm -hmm. up just like Merriam-Webster dictionary definitions for it. And it says to hold fast, to cling to. And this is one that got me. It said to maintain constant fellowship. Wow. And (laughs) even now it just, it, Mm -hmm. it overcomes me because the Lord calls us to maintain constant fellowship with him. And so if I choose to live my days, just every moment, allowing myself to enter into a place of worship and to prayer and just to keep this conversation rolling. And there's so many times where we don't have to have words Mm -hmm. if we just speak the name of Jesus. And so I went through two years of, you know, brushing out wigs and restyling them. And I would sit there and as I had each actor and was doing their wigs, I would just pray over them. And if I saw a conversation happening, if I saw someone that seemed upset, if I was walking through a room, whether it would be a prayer of gratitude, of praise, or of hope, of need, of crying out to the Lord, I learned to live in a posture of prayer and praise. And that gave me such a totally different perspective to handle what each day brought um, is waking up and choosing right then and there, I'm going to give the Lord glory and I'm going to praise his name, um, is truly what helped me get through everything with in the pandemic and what that meant, you know, being furloughed for four and a half months. Mm -hmm. And I truly saw that time looking back at it where the Lord not only allowed me to survive it, but allowed me to thrive in that season, which seems so countercultural to what everyone would say. They're like, well, we lost that time. Oh no, I don't believe that. Because during that time, like not only did the Lord provide what my needs were, but even with, with all the extra money that the government was giving out, like I was able to pay off and become debt free with stuff through that season. Like who would have thunk that not working 
would allow <laughs> me to get to this place. Yeah. Yeah. But it also opened up the door. I ended up doing, you know, four different weddings during that time mm-hmm. and being able to see family and spend time with nieces and nephews that I wouldn't have had. And so, um, yeah, all that to say, I would say on a day-to-day basis, for sure, it's living in a posture of praise and in a lifestyle of prayer. Yeah. I love that. I love it. And it's, it, there's an element of course of like getting outside of yourself. Right. And like, absolutely. Like thinking about something other than all your own thoughts in your brain. Absolutely. <laughs> we are fickle <laughs> beings <laughs> and yep, we are yep. selfish. That's going to be the title of this episode. We are fickle being beings. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we live in a world that's all about self-gratification right. and survival of the fittest and live your truth. I really do not care for that term because I believe that there is absolute truth and it's in the Lord. Um, and so there's that element where we cannot trust our own intuition or our own selves because of that sinful nature that we know exists. And so we have to remove ourselves from the picture and say, okay, what is eternal? What is wholesome and uplifting? What is going to make an impact? What is the Lord calling me to? I want to do that. And that means I have to step out of myself. I have to take myself out of the picture. I have to take out any desires that are me, die to them so that I can pick up my cross and carry it. I want to talk about a little bit um, about sight and sound because we've talked, you know, we've kind of danced around it a little bit. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But I... Well, I want you to describe like what sight and sound is. Sure. And then also like what you love about performing with them, because now that you are performing with them, like, what do you love to do? Cause you perform a lot with them. I mean, I know you guys do a lot of shows, so. I do. Yes. So for anyone that doesn't know, um, sight and sound is a musical theater company that's been established in Lancaster, Pennsylvania for 47 years now um and it's where the bible comes to life so everything that we do is biblically based they take a story of the bible and actually from conception to when it's actually on stage is almost a four-year process to get it to that point um but it is unlike any production that you will ever see anywhere it's Mm -hmm. unlike Broadway or anything so our stage is 300 feet wide. It's a football field from side to side. It's 20,000 square feet of stage space that we fill. Um, This year, currently, we are doing the story of Queen Esther. Um, And so everything goes towards telling this story. And you, as the theater goer, actually being put in the shoes of Esther and experiencing the same feelings that, that she did. And so it's a very like fast paced show and keeps moving because the whole story of Esther takes place in the capital city of Susa in Persia. It's the first time that we've had a show that just stays in one city. So rather than multiple geographic areas Mm -hmm. with production, we were able to change the whole set design so that it is higher, wider, deeper than any set has been. But the whole set is basically like a dollhouse where there are new stages that appear, Mm. houses turn, walls drop, things open up to create these different scenes. But the whole time, the entire city is on display and life is happening outside Mm. of it. 
experience. You're fully immersed in it. Mm. Um, so it is an incredible company. Everything that you see on stage is built completely house. So there are over 700 employees within the company total between our location in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and our location in Branson, Missouri. Um, but all of pre-production and our story department and our shops are primary character. And so all of the sets are built, all of the costumes, everything, all the lighting, everything is done there. Um, and all of the animals we have in Esther, we have horses, donkeys, llamas, alpacas, camels, goats, pigeons. Oh, so cool. Odd. Um, yeah, I'm in the cast this year and I am so thankful for it. I, my primary track, um, is a well, wait, describe what a track is for people that don't know. Yes, absolutely. So every character within the story of Esther is cast three deep. So you have a primary, you have an understudy and you have a backup. So basically mm-hmm. first, second, third string. The reason for that is that this is a full-time year-long contract that all of us are in and a lot of companies it actually comes with a great set of benefits so that you have pto you have Mm -hmm. sick all incorporated so by casting it three deep it allows us to be able to adapt to people that have vacations that come up or if they have a physical modification and can't do a certain role their understudy or backup can go in so each actor has a primary track, which would be what is their first string, but then they also understudy tracks, backup tracks, perhaps. Now, not everyone has all of those things, but they may have some element of it. They may have, you know, three or four scenes where they understudy a certain type of character and would need to go in. Um, so would, could you play different characters in one show or no? You wouldn't do that? Yes. Oh, yes. you can? Yes, there are certain elements where you could if it's just a step out role for a Mm -hmm. scene or two and the character's kind of in and out, you absolutely could. So Mm -hmm. for me, one of the characters that I understudy, his name is Carcass, and he is a eunuch that at the very top of the show, King Xerxes or Hazoeris is what people may read in the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, says, go tell Vashti to come and make sure she wears a crown, like bring her to me to this party. And she refuses. And so Carcass is the eunuch that is sent to ask her to come to the king. She says, no, he has to tell the king and the king promptly puts him to death. And so within the first five minutes of the show, <laughs> I <laughs> so... <laughs> I like run out the center aisle screaming and I'm dead. <laughs> so you got that, this part after a couple of years of auditioning, you were like, wait, I'm going to die within the first yeah. five minutes. <laughs> it's a fun little character to play. Some of these little characters, they're harder because how do you make an impact, especially on a yeah. house, like our house at full capacity seats, 2,100 people. That's a lot of people to play out to. So yeah. how can it memorable in such a brief period of time? And so that's something that I love to play with. And I love doing that character because it is just a short amount of time where you just have to go all out for them to experience it the way that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for me personally, my primary track is mainly ensemble stuff because I understudy so many characters. So I understudy Carcass, who's that eunuch. I understudy Prince Memukin, who is the lead prince who was with the king at all times. He's basically like the head of what would be considered like the head of the king or the president's cabinet. So president has a cabinet of people the king has these seven princes that are giving counsel at all times mm. prince i understudy both elder levi and elder eli who are two elders that are fictional characters but work with mordecai and so in throughout the mm. whole and there's a lot of scenes where the three of them are always together and have a lot of interaction. I understudy all of the heralds, and there are three of those that are throughout the show. Um, and I understudy like some of the stuff with our mini horses. I understudy a servant. I understudy a musician. So what's nice about that? I also back up Hatak, and Hatak is basically what the equivalent of. Albert to Batman is that's who Hatak is to the king he's kind of like the butler mm-hmm. um runs the palace he hears and sees everything but he rarely gives any input himself like he is loyal to the king mm-hmm. at all costs and it takes a lot it actually takes Esther encouraging him to start to speak out and be his own person um so right there is you know seven different characters that I could play Mm-hmm. Where I'm grateful for that and where it's a blessing is every single day my show is different. So at this point, we open February 12th. I would say we're probably 150 or so shows in to mm-hmm. our run. We will keep doing the show until December 24th. So we probably have another you know, 275 plus shows to go. I think we do over shows this year we do 11 shows a week tuesday through saturday um but oh my goodness 11 shows oh my gosh yes yes so tuesday wednesday and thursday we do an 11 a.m and a 3 p.m show fridays we do a 3 p.m and a 7 p.m show and saturdays we do 11 a.m 3 p.m and 7 p.m show (laughs) those three-day shows (laughs) cyt helped you with that i'm sure (laughs) <laughs> yes so um it is it is taxing that's for oh, sure. sure yeah and our set is so huge has so many stairs and ramps and you're running all over it so interesting facts for those that may want to hear it um for me my average show i generally will walk um i've, I've done my step counter and I will easily do about six to 7,000 steps per show. Wow. We have one of our heralds and he, in a week's time, the number of stairs that he does would be the equivalent of him climbing up and down the Empire State Building twice in one Whoa. week. Oh my yes. goodness. So our Esther goes like over three miles per show that she is traveling to do it so everybody is exerting so much mm. i average over a gallon of water every day because you just let it out because you're on the mm-hmm. all the time um so it's it's a blast it is a lot of work but every day I, it is not lost on me the opportunity that i have especially in an industry that for the most part is just now 
starting to reopen. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm very thankful to have a job that I love and that means so much. Um, and my hope and my prayer is that by j- stewarding my job well, that people are able to see the light of Christ through what we do and are able to mm-hmm. experience the facet of his glory in what they experience through telling these stories in such an incredible way. Mm, incredible. I have never seen a sight and sound show, but I hope to one day. I know, I know. I actually got to watch um, Jesus on Easter last year. Yes. And that was amazing. And I've actually met some people that were in that since then. I mean, I know some people that work there, but I've met other people and, and that was really cool. But um, I know people that work in Branson, too, and yep. that's incredible. It's just really – it's just the organization by itself, and I'm sure you've been – you working there for so long is that it's just inc- it's just such an incredible place for, for performers that, like – it's being a performer is really – I'm not a performer, but I know how difficult it is. <laughs> like I know how difficult the lifestyle is. I know that you can go to school, you can go to New York, you can, you know, you can go to LA, you can, you can try and make it. But like the fact that there's this place for people that one, you know, are Christians, but be also like, you know, uh, have a place where there's some, it's something good too. It's not just like, absolutely. Yeah. It's not just, you know, we're putting on this, this show that is yes you know, maybe it's not a pageant it's not yes, any of the yeah. things it is truly uh, a one-of-a-kind experience and honestly that's what we're all called to we're called to do everything to the best of our ability mm-hmm. and so we do that within the shows that we do and we invest a lot the company invests a lot to ensure that everything that we do is done with excellence Mm -hmm. so we are currently in preparations to premiere a brand new show king david next year that will go through the life of david it'll actually start with him as a young child being sent out to the fields to tend the sheep um and then it will go all the way through to his death and the um blessing of the temple with solomon there's some there's some crazy stuff that happened to david so there is yes people will need to get their tickets and come out and see it i can tell you from the bits that i've seen and being able to be a part of some of the process getting it to here um i've gotten to work on some of the costuming i've gotten to know some of the music i've gotten to even do some film stuff for it like it is going to be amazing and so worshipful you have all of the psalms that are in david's life right so there's a totally different feel to the style of the show that will be coming next year that's going to be just truly an experience but um yeah, to be a part of a company that seeks to storytell in a way that it shows people what a relationship with the Lord is like and can be like and invites them on a daily basis to enter into that relationship. It truly is um, such a blessing for each of us. And even though we may be, you know, 150 performances into that show, I can tell you that every day based off of what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through, the Lord reveals himself to me in a new way and shows a part in music or in the dialogue or lyrics of what I need to hear for that day. And that is also just so rewarding. And I have great friendships with so many of my cast members and coworkers. Um, I have a lot of 
friends in a lot of different departments there. And we all have to work together to accomplish the same goal. Yeah. Yeah. That I have a joy every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, two things as we're wrapping up here. The first thing I want to ask you is because I don't want to I don't want to keep you for too long, Jeff, as much as we could talk probably for like three more hours. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing I wanted to know, like, I, I, you know, in talking with you, I think it's hard to even like looking back at like how you started even like it's hard to even be like, well, when you first started, because I feel like you've been like doing so many things for so long. It's like, yes. well, when did you really start? I guess like eight years old. It's but a great question. <laughs> I, I honestly would not be able to tell you. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I, I think I'll say like, if you could tell like Jeff working maybe at Aquatods, yeah. like w- something that, you know, like, what would you tell him that, you know, now, like if you could give him a piece, like a nugget or what, or what would you say sure. to him back then? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think I would tell the Jeff of that time to remember that the Lord is constantly moving and working in ways that we can't always perceive and understand, but he is always working. And growing our faith means growing our trust in the Lord. And so obedience comes from doing it. It It is an action that has to happen. It's not so much a mindset. We can't just say, oh, yeah, we're obeying the Lord. No, that requires us doing. And so I think for a long time, I allowed myself to sit in that place because of fear mm. of, yeah, I want to obey the Lord, but I don't want, you know, uh, I want to have a consistent paycheck and I don't want to No, you need to obey and you need to go. Mm. You need to take that step of faith. Um, and the Lord obeys that obedience. The Lord defends those who love him and serve him and are called according to his purposes. And so you have no reason to doubt that he will not take care of you because I've seen it happen. He has. He's provided everything that I needed since I stepped out in faith. Awesome. I love it. And again, I don't know if this is like the same type of answer, but what, what I always like to ask people, like, what type of advice would you give to people? Maybe like, it's so again, like you do so many things. So maybe it's like, you know, being a wedding planner or, you know, Uh running their own business or like being a performer or working backstage, like what advice would you give? It's so many things. I don't know if it's just one piece of advice, but like what? What type of what type of advice would you give people that maybe are looking to do any of those things? Absolutely. Yeah. For anyone that is looking to do something within a creative field, mm-hmm. whatever capacity that looks like, it's wanting to use your gifts in a creative way. Um, I would say, first and foremost, don't be afraid of work. Mm-hmm. Like, be willing to roll up your sleeves to get on your hands and knees and do whatever it is that you need to to do it and to do it well don't allow being tired or allow other things to impact the level of work that you've put out know that your name and your conduct is your brand and so what are people saying if someone mentions your name when they think of you what is the first mind um, when it comes to things that are work related you want them to be able to understand um, the levels that you go to um be creative, use the gifts that you have and use the way that 
looks at things and don't be afraid to speak up. You know, I think that there's definitely something to be said about needing to learn discernment and understanding when is the right setting opportunity or mode of communication to be able to actually accomplish things. I think from my experience in management um, and in elements of that, I have learned how to be able to communicate in a way that is effective and to be able to navigate what others might consider um, high stress conversations or difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. It does not have to be confrontation or difficult unless you perceive it as that way. Mm -hmm. And so how can you communicate in a, well that sh in a way that shows your desire to come alongside a company or a person or a situation and improve that? To one, make sure that you always question the status quo and think outside the box and look at how you can improve it, but ultimately to show your support in um, doing that. You know, working at Aquatots, we had seven core values. And as core values, I truly have incorporated into my life and have seen just a huge impact in everything. And some of those are, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way that you want to be treated, but seek first to understand before trying to be understood, extend grace to the teachable, always think outside the box, question the status quo, choose relationships over profits, praise in public, correct in private, um, and I think the last one, did I say seek first to understand before trying yeah. to be under? Yeah. Um, well, that last one you said is like, we could have a whole podcast just on like that value. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I think the seventh one was treat others the way you want to be treated. I just didn't start counting until after. <laughs> <laughs> but those things, I have seen such an incredible impact mm. in how I conduct myself relationally with people um, within my work ethic and everything that have made such a huge impact. And I think especially in the creative industry where there's such a high uh, focus and importance on what you produce, it's all about what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. That ultimately comes down to your character and who you mm -hmm. are. As a and so making sure that at your core, you know who you are, that you know whose you are, as a believer, um, and that you are who you say you are. If there's one thing that's a turnoff is that if someone says one thing, but does not perform that way, or acts in a way that's another mm -hmm. format, you're not going to be trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Consistency, they want to see quality product and everything that you do, regardless of the industry. And that ultimately comes down to you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also what I heard in there too, is like self-awareness to a certain extent, like, absolutely, <laughs> like knowing who, how you, how you, you know, need to improve and yep. how you work with people and all those things too. But of course, yeah. Yeah. Leading from humility. Leadership is all an upside down pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> it's not about love. going to the top. It's about bringing yourself to the bottom. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's so, uh, wow. I love that. That's Ooh. really cool. Ooh, little nuggets, yeah. little nuggets. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, as all of my listeners know, I do ask two questions at the end of the show, Jeff, uh, to yeah. each guest. And the first one being, uh, if I was able one day to hand you a blank check, maybe not right now, but maybe one day, um, <laughs> hand you a blank check and say, use this towards your passion. How would you use that? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a, it's, that's a great question. It's a difficult <laughs> one. Again, I have done so many things. Um, and so I think there's one side of me that would want to say, let me just like tuck it away and save it for when the time comes to invest. But a rainy ulti- day. Yes. It's raining right now, actually. So <laughs> I'll take that check. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, let me get your address and I'll. <laughs> yeah. Um, ultimately, what is my desire? What is my passion? My passion is to be able to use the gifts that the Lord has given me to be able to help people see him and witness him in a way that um, is tangible and is real. We serve a creative God. And so as someone who is the mighty master creator in all things, he has given me specific creative abilities that no one else has. And I want to steward that well. And so uh, whether that is through performance, specifically within like storytelling, whether that is through worship and allowing, being allowed to be that person that helps create the bridge between the Lord and his people ultimately is my goal. I want to stand in the gap. I want to be the bridge between the Lord and the people and to create and foster an environment where the Holy Spirit can work, where it's palpable and real and people can experience him and music above anything else in the world truly has the ability to break down walls and allow people to step out of themselves, Mm. step out of their situation and feel freedom. And we know as believers that that's what we get in Christ every single day. And that understanding to step out of ourselves, to carry our Mm. cross, to follow him and to experience joy and freedom and hope that is beyond anything that's comparable. Um, But to be able to, build that space, build that experience for people where they're not just in the moment experiencing it, but they're learning how to get to that place. Mm -hmm. They're how, like I said earlier, to build a posture of praise and of prayer and to see every moment as an opportunity to step into the Holy of Holies and to experience the Lord, regardless of their situation, regardless of where they are, regardless of what they're doing. I want to be in the process of building experiences with the Lord. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. like it. quasi broad, but yeah. I do so much that I couldn't pinpoint one specific thing, but ultimately mm-hmm. the trending thread is I want people to experience Jesus mm-hmm. and know him the way that I know him. And, um be able to do that through music and through storytelling. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, if I'm honest, kind of what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which well, is pretty awesome. For that. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, secondly, of course, uh, I uh, always like to end on a little bit of a fun, positive note. And um, what is something that you are loving right now? It can it can be multiple things, too. But um, whatever. What are you loving right now? Please share. Sure. Um, what am I loving right now? <laughs> I love. So if people could see currently where I am, a podcast won't show that, but I am surrounded by all of my houseplants. 
I oh, love yes, I did see them. plants. Mm-hmm. I love being in the garden today. I spent like an hour just going through and weeding my vegetable and flower garden and <laughs> setting up some chicken wire so the bunnies would stop eating my dahlias. <laughs> um, there's something about planting that I feel. So in Genesis, it says the Lord placed Adam in the garden to tend the land. Um, and so like, that's one of the truest forms of worship that I know is working garden there's so much gratification that comes from fostering growth and life Mm -hmm. through your labor yes there's sweat that's involved and so on but um i love working in my yard and Mm -hmm. so i was house slash dog sitting for the past week and wasn't able to be in my yard so i came and i was like wow some of these weeds are taking over let (laughs) me get in there and let me try and fix this up some so i love working in my yard I love working in my kitchen. I love my church, um, the community that I have there and leading worship and being involved with my church body is so amazing. Um, I love that it's summer and that I don't look yeah. like a vampire. I love that I've got some color. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm wearing black Very today. Vain, but uh... I <laughs> am thankful for any opportunity that I have to be in the sun because mm-hmm. in my line of work, I work basically in a cave. <laughs> Very <Right>. dark, <laughs> but there's a reason for that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would say those are a few of the things that I'm loving right now. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You actually sound like my wife because we have like, I think she has like 40 plants in our house. Yeah. <laughs> and so we I have a lot. Inside, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, I've got an eye on 30 that I can yeah. count right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun and i have to stop myself literally anytime i go to a home or garden center i feel like all right jeffrey you don't need another one today i literally picked up some potting mix because i've got some plants that i've been propagating and it's time for mm-hmm. them to go into soil so i got yeah. some pots i have some potting mix i have to go ahead and get that get them all that's right she, she has a bunch of plants that are propagating and yeah she's a part of this like you know, in our area, like a plant Facebook group and oh, it's dangerous. Same. It's dangerous. Yeah. You better believe I'm part of the Lancaster County plant spot page <laughs> and so much that's in my yard because the house that I'm currently in, when I moved in, it really did not have a whole lot. You can tell, I feel like a lot of times when people get ready to sell a house, they just like throw a few shrubs on it to make it look clean and, mm-hmm. and sell it. And so I have been running all over Lancaster County, picking up free plants from people, trading some of my cuttings, trying to revive some plants that people were killing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do it all the yeah. time. It's, yeah, yeah. That's, it's fun. that's my wife's life too. And I just sit in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I also uh, like to answer this because, you know, I can do whatever I want on my show. Absolutely. And, <laughs> I am loving. Well, I am. I got to see my family this past weekend, which was great. We got to hang out by the pool, so that was really fun. I did get yeah. some redness, sunburn. You know, you it's know. early. It's early Abbott. summer. You know, we don't know. We're just coming out of quarantine. You know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, but I, so I'm loving that. But also, we got a chance to finally go see in the Heights this weekend. Ah, yeah. And um, I, you know, this. And, and thinking about you know what am I loving I mean obviously I, I love musicals and it's something that we share a, a love of and um 
and and I but I also love going to the cinema and I love going to the movies so it really blended that love uh, those two loves I mean honestly I know this this movie is on HBO Max which it's it's on there but if you have the chance to see it in a movie theater like go see it in the movie theater if you feel safe enough like it is unbelievable it is such a good film and it's all it's just a good film I mean it's a great musical but also like the movie part of it also is great and you don't get that a lot of the time with movie musicals like it's really hard Um, yeah it's really hard to make a movie musical so I I it's I just bring me brought me like so much joy and we get to see it we rent we ended up like renting out a theater with friends and family and it was just like so much fun and yeah so that's what I'm loving go see go watch in the heights cool (laughs) yeah I saw it last week it was so good oh love it love it uh well for uh for those that don't know i believe if people want to follow you and keep up with you um it's jeff sings right on yep. on instagram yep um, that's correct yeah and it's of course G-O-F, so it's g-e-o-f-f-s-i-n-g-s yes feel free to follow come up to sight and sound lancaster pennsylvania come yes. see queen esther running through december 23rd um if i know that you're coming and know you i can request in for one of my roles so you can see me and something more but i'd love to meet up answer any questions just about what Mm. sight and sound is answer more about what life is like you know everybody loves a weekend in amish country so come (laughs) on up do it go see jeff's plans um <laughs> yeah yeah i'll provide all of that in the in the show notes below you guys um and and the and the website for sight and sound if anybody wants to go check it out all of that fun stuff um but i really appreciate you being on the show today and doing this oh absolutely i've had a great time thanks so much for thinking of me and reaching out i'm glad it worked out absolutely absolutely uh, and of course, you guys know all the things. Follow us on passionproject.pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like and share this episode with all your friends and family if you if you you know enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, we will see you guys next time. Bye.